hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash Chats, the original comedy soundcast featuring interviews from comedy... Soundcast. Soundcasters, comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folks. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark Hershaw. Hello, friend. It is I, Mark Hershon, your host and adorable lapso-apso for our sesquicentennial installment, that's Epi 150, to you and me, of Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. It's also the sixth anniversary of this show being on the web. This particular listening experience is a Succotash chat episode and features special third-time returning guest, Jordan Brady. It's also one of the stranger recording experiences that I've had. I'm sitting in Studio F, my Fiat 500. It's raining outside. It's broad daylight. I normally don't record these things by the light of day. I'm parked outside my accountant's office waiting to go pick up my income taxes to send them in. And it just doesn't feel like a, like a succotash kind of day. But uh, what the heck, let's push on. If you hear any weird noises, just uh, just roll with it. That's what I'm doing. All right, so Jordan Brady, he's just started gallivanting around the good old U.S. of A. to show off his newest documentary, I Am Battle Comic, the third chapter of his trilogy, looking at the lives and careers and the hopes and dreams, as well as the pain and suffering of comedians. The first of his films was I Am Comic, which, you might recall from just a couple of episodes ago, focused on the efforts of our guest Rich Scheidner, who was trying to reignite what had once been a pretty successful stand-up comedy career. The follow-up to that was I Am Road Comic, about the trials and tribulations of a comedian working on the road today. That film featured another triple-visit guest of Succotash, Wayne Fetterman. You can likely guess the focus of his new film, I Am Battle Comic. It's, wow, it's really raining now. <laughs> it's about stand-up comedians who muster up the courage to head into some of the gnarliest war zones that our men and women of the armed forces are stationed. The only reason to do so is to bring a few laughs into the lives of the service men and women in these godforsaken hellholes, some of which are stationed away from home for many months or even years at a time. Here's a little sample of my upcoming convo with Jordan. Now, did you think when you were making this uh, this film uh, a year ago that uh, that Trump would ever get elected? <laughs> oh, my God. I've never been so wrong in my life. Right? Oh, oh my God. And and it's funny because Jeff Capri has done the thing. He wore this Trump shirt and he was doing Trump jokes. And I was like, man, eh, you know, there's I, – I, I was like, Jeff, I don't think I'm going to shoot too many of the Trump jokes because it just – he'll be a footnote. By the time I'm done editing, uh-huh. no one – it'll be like Ross Perot of the new millennium. Wow. Who's going to think Donald Trump is ever going to be president? Right. Good night. Uh and then I remember election night, I was texting back and forth with my son. I was in the car, and he's like, Dad, like, Trump's winning. I'm like, no, 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 you're watching. What are you watching? What are you, like, I'm watching CNN. Like, no, 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 that's just sensational. They're, they're, they're doing something. The movie I Am Battle comic isn't available for download yet. Jordan talks about when you can expect that in the interview. But he is traveling around, renting out theaters in different places around the country and showing it off. He often has one or more of the comedians featured in the film with him, too, so it's quite a little extravaganza. 
We'll get in deeper about I Am Battle comic with Jordan in just a few minutes. First off, however, I want to thank folks that came out to the Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley last Saturday, April 1st, for the April Fool's show I produced and was in. It's a jam-packed two and a half hours of stand-up improv music and juggling. Or it was. It, it isn't now. <laughs> also, I've bought my three-day ticket for this year's Los Angeles Podcast Festival. That's happening October 6th through 8th in downtown L.A., where the location is the Millennium Biltmore Hotel. So a new locale this year. Curious to see what that's going to be about. I've been sniffing around to see if they want me to host another panel this time around, but so far, bupkis. I haven't heard nothing. If you want to give them a tweet at L.A. Podfest and suggest it on Twitter, I, I cannot stop you. I also cannot stop you from getting over to iTunes to rate and review Succotash Show in the comedy podcast category. Wouldn't stop you if I could, as a matter of fact. Those five-star ratings make a big difference in visibility for the show, and your glowing reviews, well, they make me wriggle like a happy puppy. This show is supported by two things, your support and my wallet. And so far, six years in, my wallet is winning. (laughs) Well... I guess it's losing, actually. Love to see a lean on our donate button more often at the SuccotashShow.com home site. You can also click on the banner at the top of the page to do your Amazon shopping, and we get a little share from the purchase of whatever you buy. So help out, okay? Let me tell you more about this show. In addition to Jordan Brady, we've got a double dose of our Burst of Durst with our resident political wonk and cultural observer, Will Durst, coming up this episode. In fact, let's hit the first Burst of Durst right now. Will? Hey guys, Will Durst here with a wee bit of investigative reportage for you. During the Trump Care meltdown, we learned about a couple of obscure Republican congressional caucuses instrumental in torpedoing the American Health Care Act, but from opposite sides of the political spectrum. The Freedom Caucus, whose members were formerly teabaggers but changed their name to interact with civilized people. Referring, of course, to those brave unsung heroes of politics essential to protecting the interests of ordinary Americans, congressional staffers. On the other side was the Tuesday group, moderate Republicans, which were known in the 60s as the Wednesday group. Seriously, you gotta wonder if there's a second Thursday in months that don't have an R in them group, because if so, they haven't been much of a factor lately. We citizens don't realize all the special interest caucuses running around out there that we've never heard of, plotting and lobbying and exerting influence and stiffing caterers all over the greater D.C. area. There's the Congressional Cannabis Caucus that probably meets on the first Friday of every month at 420. You saw that coming. The Friends of Kazakhstan Caucus, or was it Friends of Laney Kazan Caucus? Don't know if the Brotherhood of Liver Transplant Recipients, the Third Wives Elimination Group, Tiny Testicles Caucus, Fried Bananas and Peanut Butter Sandwiches Caucus, or the Wee Floss with Domestic Licorice Group exist, but they should. Undoubtedly, there's a Beezabub Friendship Society and Flunky and Bootlicker Support Group, but surely they operate under different names. The Congressional Values Action Team does exist, but hasn't spread its sphere of influence very wide thus far. Everyone belongs to the Mirror Appreciation Society, and while the vast majority of caucuses are, you know, just excuses to drink with friends in private, the most useless and ineffectual group that occasionally meets but accomplishes absolutely nothing is a group we know as the Democrats. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, 
I'm Will Durst. We will have a second visit by Will later in the show, but if you just can't wait, you can saunter over to his home site at willdurst.com, find out more, hear more, and you can also see where he's going to be appearing in the near future. This episode of Succotash Chats, by the way, is brought to you by our good friends over at Henderson's with their brand new Spring Breakers pants. Take it away, Bill Haywatt. Well, friends, spring has sprung, which means it's time for you to jump into style. And what style has Henderson's pants got in store for you? How about a snappy pair of spring breakers? The trousers that just don't know when to quit. Literally. They're just the thing for those college students, be they he-men or co-eds, that are itching to spread their wings and their legs for an exciting furlough from dusty books and an even dustier sense of responsibility. Designed with fun in mind, Henderson Spring Breakers are casual enough to wear to the beach in Miami or dressy enough to sit down to dinner in Paris. The fabric is ultra-stain resistant, keeping liquor, blood, or even vomit from dashing your hopes at making a great impression. Even if the only people you're out to impress are those presiding at your arraignment hearing in Tijuana. What's more, spring breakers are unisex, which means you can wear them no matter who you might be having sex with. Men, women, assorted barnyard animals, even power tools. These pants don't care who or what you end up hooking up with, or where for that matter. Originally designed for Fat Tuesday, Bacchus, the Roman party god, and the Red Hour. Henderson Spring Breakers are available wherever young people like to get face down in their own spew. That's Henderson's, makers of fine ass gaskets and crotch covers since 1903. And now back to Succotash. Okay, I have seen Jordan Brady's new movie, I Am Battle Comic, and it's very good. I've never been to one of those crazy war zone gigs, but you really do feel as if, uh, as you're watching it, that you're really getting a true look at what goes on there. You can get a peek at the Red Band trailer for the movie, which means there's a cursin' in it, at IamBattleComic.com. But before I get into my chat with Jordan, I thought you might like to hear that Red Band trailer right now. I guess if you don't like bad language, cover your ears. Yeah. I don't think you're going to be receiving any direct fire on the plane. Okay. And if you do, you're going to need a lot more than the vest if, okay. if you're on a plane yeah. when it happens. Yeah. I've been here in July when it's stupid hot. I don't have to tell you guys. Yeah, last time I was here, I actually saw a camel go, son of a bitch. This is bullshit out here. Which is weird, in this part of the world, you wouldn't think the camels would even speak English. I've done six USO tours. I did it three times in one year. Can you believe that? I want to thank the Provost Marshal for the wonderful protection we've been getting. They have 25 men with machine guns guarding the girls. Isn't that nice? <laughs> For the fellas, they have a midget with a slingshot. How many countries have you been to? 39 or 40 right You never know if the guy you're performing for is shaking your hand, snapping the picture with that your Facebook buddy today is going to be there tomorrow. That's Afghanistan and Iraq are real. And if I get to... If I get to take that kid away from that situation for that long... Why not, right? How many chances do you get to do something that cool? They're going to let us fire a Patriot missile or two each. <laughs> Is that no? The Air Force might be a little more, uh, little more conservative. They have it a little better than, than everybody else. Army and the Marines, you guys need two-ply toilet paper. They have one ply. 
Air Force has two fly. That's the first thing I'm going to do when I'm in charge of this country. Make sure you guys get two fly toilet paper. Navy seems to be a go-to punchline when it's not the Navy. Or if it is the Navy, then the Air Force is a good punchline. It's good, playful, fun between the branches of like Army, Marines, and Air Force. So you guys can do whatever you want with that. And who, who do you make fun of? Oh, everybody except for the Marines. And is the Coast Guard part of the military, or is that like a club? <laughs> it's a club, right? I mean, it's not really. What, what do they do? There's a pamphlet, you sign it, you color a turtle, you're in. I mean, it can't really be that hard to be in the Coast Guard. Just a little little laughs at y'all bring. Uh, morale is just sky high. You're going to change lives. Uh, the biggest inspiration other than, you know, Jesus, obviously, was Robin Williams. I saw him on the USGO tour when I was in Afghanistan. I was his private details you have. And, I mean, it was just amazing. What the fuck is it with the digital camouflage and this? <laughs> it's like a Nerf vibrator. It kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> How many people are away from their spouses uh, right now? Yeah. Missing them real badly? Yeah. Well, that's where you and I differ. <laughs> Battle comics have slept these are, in these kind of huts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I first oh, went yeah. to Djibouti, which is... On where the is Djibouti? It's the inch past Jabal. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Even the dogs here are really, like, in it, you know, like, banging a goat, drinking coffee, you know. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty intense. I've had a great life. And it hasn't been easy, but what made it easier was the fact that I knew that I was safe here, here at home. And you can't be safe at home unless, you know, our, our, our troops are out there. I didn't think even performing for the troops was brave, but I was at least around brave people. So I was in the vicinity of bravery, which should be the name of this documentary. If you'd like to see the trailer you just heard, jump on over to our home site, SuccotashShow.com, and find the link in the blog piece for this episode. Without further ado, let's get into my chat with Jordan. Oh, Jordan Brady, welcome back to Suckatash. What? The great thing about Suckatash is, is you're so cordial. Like, if you retweet some of your great Suckatash podcast tweets, yes. you'll always... We'll get a, a, a thank you for passing the succotash. I, it's I, like a, it's like a reward for retweeting. I exactly, exactly. I, I appreciate the extra effort that, and that isn't automated. That's literally me doing that. No, I can tell it's no bot. <laughs> it's no bot, buddy. It's no bot. Uh, how have you been, Jordan? You know, I've been pretty good. Uh, we're knee deep in prep on a bunch of commercials. Mm. And that's always, it's you know, it's funny. The irony is when you have a job, it's kind of easy because you have a producer and a production team and an assistant director and a DP and all these people. And so they do all the real work. And I just sit around eating chips, <laughs> throw out odd remarks to distract everyone and maybe keep them motivated with some of my patented humor. But it's when you it's when you don't have a job that things are fucked up. You're like you panic and you're working hard and you're emailing and you know, getting your stuff out there. So I'm in a good place right now. That's good. I have a, a director friend who just uh, was telling me that um he hadn't been in touch because all of his internet connections had been uh, cut off because he couldn't afford to pay his bills uh, because he was between jobs and he was expecting money to start coming in for something and it hadn't yet. So 
it seems like a, a sort of, uh, I don't know, a sort of weird way to go through life. <laughs> well, th- thanks for the upbeat story right off the top. Oh, sure. The chat. sure. <laughs> hey, I'm waiting for some of that patented humor you were talking about. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It is sort of feast or famine. Like, we, as a commercial director, you make a, a really good day rate. Mm. Which is kind of misleading because you work for a month, but you only get paid for the one day. But it's a lot of fucking money. Yes. Um, but then if you 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 can pour a week's worth of ideas into a a treatment and and phone calls in your approach, and if you don't get the gig, well, you're out for you know you can be out for a, a work for over a month. Yeah, because it takes that much lead time just to get the opportunity, get on the phone. To, Figure out how you, it's very competitive. Well, that's like you know when I was uh, when I was writing movies for the Hallmark Channel, they pay you know pretty good for a TV movie, and I'm going. I'd, I'd been out of work for a while when I was selling them, and I'm going. This is great money. And then once you start to sort of prorate it over the course of a year, you're making kind of substitute teacher money. Oh yeah, fry captain. <laughs> I, there are fry captains at at not even Burger King or McDonald's like it. What a burger in Texas! <laughs> you know, they, they make more per hour yes. than I make pouring my heart and soul into this. Yeah. So my heart goes out to your buddy. Yes, exactly. As does mine. As does mine. Um, I am. Uh, I'm delighted you had some time to talk. Uh, thanks to you, I was able to uh, get a peek at I Am Battle Comic, your your newest entry into the I Am Comic film pantheon. It's the third film in the trilogy. It's kind of the return of the Jedi of the I Am comic series. <laughs> let's just start with this. For the comedians that are listening, it's a terrible name. <laughs> I Am because there's this whole movement. Like Jeffrey Ross hosted the you know, rap comic battle, yeah. battle comic thing on Comedy Central. And he's super funny. And I think those people that battle mm. each other, it's like, yo, mama jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole movement, so I don't want people to be confused that I am Battle Comic is following, you know, the the young millennial yeah. uh, whipper whippersnapper comic with the sharp tongue. Well, let's let's set the record straight now, and dozens of people will be able to go forth and spread the word. <laughs> um, but this is the third in your series. The first being I am Comic, just simply right. I am Comic, and then I am Road Comic about those hardworking men and women on the road. And, yeah. And now I am battle comic and it is not comics who battle with their wits, but it, well, they, 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 they help those who do battle by using their wits. Is it's very simply Mark. It's very simply a documentary about doing stand up comedy for our U S troops around the world. Specifically, I went to Afghanistan, Kuwait and parts that I can't mention on the show to entertain U.S. troops, and some NATO forces were there as well. And that's a whole that's a whole circuit, you know, that you can do as a comic, is go to military bo- bases both in the States but abroad. And, you know, you get paid a little bit, you travel, you see the world. And what I learned is you do meet and greets during the day where you're meeting actual men and women in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and you're shaking hands and telling stories and doing like little, you know, like a meet and greet that you would do after the show. You do it all day long. And it it really changes uh, the soldiers' lives for at least 20 minutes. Now, most civilian meet and greets probably are not 
uh, often or sometimes met by an attack dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so here, here's the thing. When you go overseas and you go on a military base, you, you, you do these meet and greets and people, they tell you about their job. Like we run the, the hurt locker team where we discover and defuse bombs. Yeah. So the, so you being the civilian become the butt of the joke. Like here, wear the bomb suit. So I put on the bomb suit. It weighs like 125 pounds. They put you on the ground. They flip you over. You can't get up and, and they laugh at you. And you be there, you be there, fool, for a while. That's cool. Be the buffoon. And the other comics that I traveled with had done this so many times that they're like, no, no, no. New guy always wears the suit. Ah. So when it came time for the attack dogs, like they've all been attacked. Jordan, sure. put put on the puffy suit and run. <laughs> run, Jordan, run. <laughs> and you know we've seen that. Like you, any of the comedians that go overseas and do that. And I think Conan did a special from Afghanistan or Iraq. They all put on the suit, and it never gets old. Yeah, uh, I, you, you did. You actually got to your feet uh, in a fairly gainly manner, I must say. Once you figured out sort of how all the balance stuff worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, also I edited the film, so I was able to manipulate time in a fashion that made me look less uh, clumsy. <laughs> But uh, it was uh, it's it's I would call it uh, of the three films it is the most uh, it has the most moments that are uh, I would say sentimental touching and um, sort of heartbreaking too in some cases uh, in terms of talking to the soldiers and some of them talking about missing their homes and how touched they are when the comics come over and entertain them because um, I think as one guy said sometimes they're there for six or eight months or longer and really have no, you know, source of live entertainment, certainly, and probably entertainment in general for a lot of that time. Oh, yeah. A year tour of duty is is not uncommon. They do have regular movies. So, like any stand-up gig, there are people that were upset that, what, the movie the movie is, you know, Eddie the Eagle isn't showing because oh. we have to listen to these comedians? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so, it, and there's, you know, but it's ping pong or a pickup game of basketball or pool. It's extremely hot. So live entertainment, um, comes through every couple of months. I know they had like the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders come over. Now, I don't know what they do because they're not giving lap dances or anything. <laughs> they're, I guess they're just cheering. I, I would find their, that very frustrating. They do their cheers. Yeah. And the MMA fighters go over and they teach, you know, moves that they use in the ring. And I think it's more just an appreciation. But let me ask you this. I hope I hope it didn't come off sappy. That was the hard thing. Like, I wanted the film to be funny and let the comedians be funny and everything. It is funny. Uh, and, that, I mean, that's what the I think the counterpoint is of when you do see these moments. Um, you really feel their – A, the – the soldier's genuine uh, gratitude for you and not just the guys you went over with, but just sort of this whole sort of entertainment circuit, you know, because they, they really are very detached from kind of the rest of the world. 
uh, certainly their home lives. And so it's, uh, you know, a combination for them of a taste of home. And it, it, it never does come off sappy at all. You, oh, guys, good, good. you guys come off a little sappy, but <laughs> that's just because I've heard some of your jokes before. Yeah, right. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got to tell you, that was, that was a struggle just to get on stage and tell jokes. So, but he, you, to your point, like George Lopez is in the film because mm-hmm. he's done some of the tours and he gets emotional and it really touched by the experience. Tammy, Tammy Pascatelli, David mm-hmm. Tell, you know, I did interviews with all these comedians when I came back and, and it's kind of an addictive thing. Like you want to help because the soldiers are appreciative that, that we remembered them. Yeah. Like they don't, they, like they don't care that none of us were really famous. Right. Right. And, and I use the word really liberally. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know who, they didn't know who the fuck i was but i'm sorry can we curse on the succotash show shit yeah absolutely okay, yeah, okay good. That, we got that explicit rating for a reason wonderful yeah they don't know who the fuck you are and they still appreciate that you came over there you know uh jennifer rollins is a comic she said you know they realize you you came to the chuckle hut in kabul yeah to see them as opposed to you could have been in Indiana or something. And and Robin Williams was, you know, I don't think I really, I knew that he did those tours. But talking, I talked to a young man who was in his private, de- uh, what do you call it, envoy. Uh-huh. You know, his detail that took him around when he went to Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and he poured his heart and soul into this, into these gigs. Yeah. Christmas time, it doesn't matter. No, he went to a lot of them, and he didn't even care, you know, how dangerous the destinations were, it seemed. He would, Correct. And yeah. Whereas I think, I don't want to badmouth Bob Hope, but uh, <laughs> but I heard he didn't really go that, like, it, like he went more for the, for the radio show. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the guy, believe me, but yeah. that it was more the radio show, and it sounded more like... He was right in the thick of it, but he really wasn't that close to it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you got, you know, at least a lot of the guys that do this, they're not, uh, they're maybe well known on some of the club circuits and whatnot, but they're, they're not household names, but there was one. And again, this was more one of the sentimental things. And I, I don't know if it was, was it Slade? It was somebody who was talking about uh, somebody who was a giant, became a giant fan of his. And uh, when he was killed in action, his family sent some of his belongings to, to the comic. Yeah. Slade Ham, a comedian out of Houston who's done, you know, 40 different countries. He, the, the unit, he, and he said he had just started and he's pressing his own CDs <laughs> and, and they were passing them around. And one of the guys on the base just was freaking over his material and forcing it on people. And when he, he got killed and the family sent, it didn't ask. It just showed up one day in the mail. Yeah, they sent they sent the patch, which is very significant, so that you know the other the family members got the flag and the uniform and and everything. And he keeps it with his uh, family photos on the mantle. George Wallace, the same thing. They mm. a guy had a um, fuck those puntos was a uh, was was what George Lopez had in, in an HBO special a few years back. <laughs> so one of the guys. One of the guys, a white guy, had fucked those putos, FTP, to the insurgents. And when he got killed, mm. they, the unit sent it to Lopez, and he keeps it 
uh, I don't have a mantle, so I, no one should send me anything. Oh, okay, that's but, good to know. That's but good to know. but uh, but he keeps it on his mantle, and when these guys tell the stories, they get you know comics are not the most sentimental people. You know, there's a, a shell or a harder exterior. Yeah. And I was surprised in interviewing people. Sean Halpin is an L.A. comic who was in the Marines. And he, he like, had to stop the interview. Yeah, you could tell the, the service guys uh, among the comics because it really touched them. It seemed a lot deeper than, than the guys that are, you know, they may travel like Don Barnard who does a lot of cruise ships and stuff. But right. I, th- I think the guys that were in the service, it really seems to mean a lot to them and hits them, hits them deeper. Yes. So, so it was, it was just an opportunity of a lifetime to go, you know, my, and my wife was like, don't you think it's kind of dangerous? I feel like not really. I mean, you're on a base, you're with, you're with the military. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm parachuting out over, uh, you know, some little village with a backpack and a microphone. Well, I don't, uh, you know, I haven't looked into this at all, but I don't recall hearing any stories of entertainers um, really being caught in a firefight or anything on, on any of these sort of journeys. There were a couple of uh, projectiles, I guess I'll say, lobbed at the, at the base when I was there to one night. And there was a, a bit of a, a stir in the middle of the night because, you know, they, but they, you know, that was not, that was not an uncommon thing. Oh, okay. Right. There's a, you know, we, and, and they, <clears throat> nobody was, uh, there was a procedure for it. And when they go to those forward operating bases, yeah. they'll take true, they'll take entertainers out. Uh, country music people are really popular too. And, and there's an economics, as you know, to stand up, right? You just, if you don't have a microphone, you can just gather people around and stand on some milk crates and you've got a show. And some of the country uh, music acts could just take a guitar and, and entertain. So they'll send you to these smaller bases like 40 or 50 people in a couple of tents. And that's where there's a little bit more danger. Yeah. And did you, you guys hit some of those on your tour? Indeed. Indeed. But it was, you know what, you know what, it was funny, Uh, not haha funny, but so I was there a year ago in March. So Belgium happened, Belgium was bombed in the the train station while I was away. Syria was, Aleppo was just heating, was heating up internationally. We were hearing about it and Turkey, there were bombs, uh, and, and attacks on Christians and Muslims. And by the way, you meet Muslims that serve in our military. So, and Jewish people and Christian people, and there's all kinds of people that volunteer to serve in the military. Yeah. I digress. Um, (laughs) what was, what I found kind of weird was, um, oh man, I, I, I forget what I was going to tell you. I got caught up in the, oh, so a year ago they said, you won't get too much activity, enemy fire at us now, because it, there's still snow. It's still cold in the mountains where the uh, like Al Qaeda were. Mm. So it's seasonal. Like they wait till it thaws out. Come April, like it's a little warmer. Okay, they stretch and they start really causing trouble. Oh, okay. <clears throat> now, did you think when you were making this uh, this film? Uh, a year ago that uh, 
that Trump would ever get elected. <laughs> oh, my God. I've never been so wrong in my life. Right? Oh, Good my night. God. And, and it's funny because Jeff Capri has done the thing. He wore this Trump shirt, and he was doing Trump jokes. And I was like, man, eh, you know, there's – I, I, I was like, Jeff, I don't think I'm going to shoot too many of the Trump jokes because it just – he'll be a footnote. By the time I'm done editing, uh-huh. no one – it'll be like Ross Perot of the new millennium. Wow. Who's going to think Donald Trump is ever going to be president? Right. Good night. Uh, and then I remember election night. I was texting back and forth with my son. I was in the car, and he's like – Dad, like, Trump's winning. I'm like, no, 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 you're watching. What are you watching? What are you, like, I'm watching CNN. Like, no, 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 that's just sensational. They're, they're, they're doing something. Yeah. It was like. How about you? Were you, were you, were you uh, hoodwinked? I was. I was. I j- and I think a lot of people, I mean, given the voter turnout, I think people just said, well, there's no way he's going to win. Why am I going to go waste my time? Right. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I started watching, and then at one point, the numbers got to a certain level, and I went, I I think he's doing this. And it was, and then it just became mathematically impossible for him not to lose. And it was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Okay. So my wife went to one of our favorite taquerias and brought home two or three boxes of tacos and invited some of my teenage girls. <laughs> they invited some friends over and it was all going to be like, woo, you know, Hillary, yeah. yay, girl power. Tacos, you know, it's kind of redundant, but, uh, you know, by the end of the night, there's a box and a half of cold tacos. And just gloves. Just when no one could eat. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I was just, uh, I was just thinking, because the last time you were on Succotash was our episode 90, and um, I Am Road Comic had just come out, or was just about to come out. I can't remember whether it had been released yet or not, but... Uh, when we got, I think towards the end of that show, we started talking about what you might do next. And this what this project, I am Battle Comic, was one of several you were you were kicking around at the time. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, I, I do. I do remember because one of the other ones you were gonna you were thinking of was I am Boat Comic about, yeah, well, about the cruise ship guys. So uh, yeah, I had I am Mimic. Yes, which which uh, I interviewed Jay Moore who was hilarious and gracious. And I interviewed a guy named Roger Cabler, mm-hmm. who, who was the first guy to do Christopher Walken. Okay. In fact, even, even Jay Moore, who was known for doing Christopher Walken on uh, SNL, said, you got to talk to Roger Cabler. And I, I know Roger from back in the day, and, and they both showed the nuances of Christopher Walken. And then the key was getting Kevin Pollack. Okay. Who does, who is, like Letterman says, does the best one. Yes. But, you know, Mark, you turn on the TV and everybody's doing Christopher Walken. Yes. The guy down the street, you know, my milkman comes to the door. And uh, <laughs> that's, a re- that's a really old reference, isn't it? That I would have a milkman. Yeah, why do you have yeah. a milkman? <laughs> well, just for the absurdity of this uh, example of how pervasive the impression of Christopher Walken is. But, you know, it's funny. In talking to, uh, to Rick Overton, who you know. Um, Rick Overton. Overton always thinks about it as there's always one guy who cracks the code. The guy who figures out how to do the impression, and then that engenders other impressions. They go, oh, I saw Pollock do it. I fig- I, I just figured out how he figured it out. Jay Moore said that about Roger Cabler. He right. said, 
He was at the like the whiskey. It wasn't even a comedy club. That it was so early on. He saw he was at a there was a comic opening up for a band, and there was some showcase, and he saw him do it. He goes, "Oh, he he tamed the wild stallion." Yeah. And then he took it from there. I think, and, well, and I, yeah, I think Overton was one of the guys who cracked the code on um, Sean Connery. Sean Connery, exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I am mimic. I shelved. Like I got to cut my losses. I had great. I even thought, well, okay, it's a short film or something, but I abandoned it. And then Dana Carvey had a show with yeah. impressions, impressions, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm going. You know, it's it's too. I'm too late. But I am boat comic. Here's the problem I was running into with the boat comic to really have a salacious documentary. <laughs> you would have to show the underbelly of the of the cruise ship life. Yeah. And no cruise ship is ever going to allow that. That's a good point. So I'd have to go undercover as like a passenger or with what it, it would just it'd be riddled with lawsuits. Yeah. Now I am battle comic. Right, which you know, I'm doing. I'm touring the film, special events with Q and A's. Some of the comics, Slade's flying in to Detroit, uh, April fifth. Maybe that's in the past, but I'm doing L.A. May second at the Landmark. It's all over Facebook, and I tweet it like a monkey hitting that button for heroin. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even have to ask. Are you coming to the San Francisco Bay Area with it? You know, I so here's the weird thing. I'm trying to figure out the audience Mm. because there's the military supportive crowd, there's the comedy nerds, and then there's just people that like documentaries. So I'm trying to – I have a Venn diagram on my wall of this (laughs) intersection of people that will like it. So I would love to – like today we just added Phoenix. uh, A a production company in Phoenix is sponsoring the screening – and, we're, and you know, by the way, I'm giving all the money from all these screenings. I have seven cities so far. Yeah. All of it, all of it goes to charity. That's so right. So my production company, Super Lounge, has we've put up the money to rent the theater and host the event, and then we're selling tickets, which is such a relief, man. You know, you have a screening or you're just going to show your film, and everybody's like, "Hey, can you get me tickets?" Yeah. Now I say no. It goes to charity. Fuck you. If you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't buy the ticket, right? Yeah. Then don't don't show up because yeah. it all goes to militaryfamilies.org, uh, Operation Gratitude. We're doing one for in L.A. They do care packages for the troops, and then in Phoenix, the Semper Fi Fund. So if I could find someone in San Francisco, and it, and they're willing to attach a charity and help promote it, I would love to come to San Francisco. Okay, this is like my ad hoc. I'm, I'm old, too old to do the film festivals and. You know, I just figured by the time I would submit and go to film festivals, I might as well just show the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, I love I am Bo, I am Bo comic would be hysterical, and and that with I am battle comic, the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, had to vet the film before I could show it publicly at all. But not for any content, not for any creative story or jokes. It was simply, you know, there's an expression, loose lips sink ships. Yeah. Because, like, someone pointed out that in the back of one of the shots, there was a, like, a conference call number. Mm. And so I took the scene out. I blurred people out in places. I never disclosed where we were because, you know, and and I blocked the sale of the movie in, in, uh, 
Syria. Oh, really? And and yeah, because it, it'll be out June second. You could download it, mm. and I'm giving half of that money to charity. At some point, I got to make the money back, right? I of course. Spend a little bit, but fifty uh, percent of the downloads from IamBattleComic.com, I'll give to charity. But I did. It was Syria, and I think uh, Pakistan, and maybe Iraq. I think Iraq as well. I used to say Iraq, and my wife got all over me. <laughs> She's like, you sound like an idiot. How do you say it? Uh, I would say, if I was talking to your wife, I'd say Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> Between us, I'd say Iraq. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Can I tell you something for the yeah. comedy fans? Yeah, yeah. By taking out some of the undisclosed places and beeping out some you know, things people said, I think it makes it a better film. Like, well, it's intriguing. There's a mystique. Like, ooh, where are they now? Ooh, why is that blurred out? Like, that's, just a, that's just a Chick-fil-A in Kuwait. But I blur it out. It looks like it's <laughs> some sort of uh, ISIS headquarters, right? Well, no, it's interesting because uh, it does constantly remind you you're not just seeing some, you know, comedy movie that you're, you're kind of tossing off. It's like, this is a documentary, and this, it's so serious that he's, you know, whether you did it on your own or they said you can't show that location, you see, you know, see you guys driving up to some base and it's just this blur of where the sign is, you know, so you can't tell where it is. And you say undisclosed location in Kuwait or whatever. You. Um, so I think it's, you, you're right. It does, it does have this really intriguing feel to it that uh, almost like you're sneaking the camera in, in some cases. Well, that is not untrue. <laughs> do, do tell. There, there were there were times when it was well specifically don't film the entrance to the bases mm-hmm. and don't don't film some of the way uh like we were in the air a couple times and i wouldn't film certain things from the air down because you know it's a roadmap to for success for some of the enemy yeah so uh the so the government was the first to say you can't show that you can't show that and then I started bleeping and blurring, and it became a thing. Like, oh, well, I can kind of loosely thread this throughout the film and make it more interesting. Yeah. There's also interesting little, like, a few frames of a, of a soldier or a few frames of a thing that was really intriguing because it was never really explained. It just seemed part of the, what I was getting from it was it's sort of this tumultuous journey, and here's just little tiny snippets of things we're seeing and people that are talking to us and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so flattered that you noticed that because one of my favorite movies from last year, the big short. Oh yeah. Directed by the great Adam McKay. Sure. The editing, I thought the editing was so wonderful in the way that they, there were these little interstitial bursts of, uh, quick montages that gave you a sense of place and tone. Yeah. And and that was the major. I think that was one of the influences. Now, I I edited the shot and edited the movie. So after weeks and late nights in my office, I invite my wife. I go, let me show you what I've been working on. She was twenty minutes in, and she goes, okay, we got to stop. First of all, this is way too fast. Like you've been in mm-hmm. commercials for so long, <laughs> because I I had just like choom, 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 choom. and she goes, I don't know what you're thinking. But you got to breathe. Interesting. And I and I explained, and but it's true because I direct commercials, and occasionally I'll do, 
you know, you do a director's cut or I'll help the agency edit the, the first pass. And if you have 15 seconds for a web spot, yeah. you're, you're, you're going, those first four cuts happen in three and a half seconds. Sometimes like chip, shoom, shoom. Yeah. And it does not work for a, for a movie over uh, a long period of time. Interesting. I hope it's interesting. You could just be polite. No, no, I, no, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, uh, I was sitting, my wife was watching something on our TV, so I was just watching it on my, on my computer. Um, and I, I told you, you know, you'd sent me a, you know, a, uh, pass to go in and see it online and it had expired because I just hadn't had time. I didn't want to watch it in pieces and I wanted to make sure I I saw the whole thing from beginning to end. So I could really kind of feel the story you're trying to weave in it. And so I'm, I'm really glad I did. I appreciate that. I really do because I tried to build to an ending that would ha- leave you with some emotion. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, in the other movies, I would run outtakes during the credits and try to get as many fucking laughs as possible. Right, right. right. And, I, and I had that in this one, and I was like, you know, the, the hardest part was juxtaposing the gravitas of, uh, for the listeners, I was in a hotel room for some of the time, and like in Kuwait, we stayed in a hotel for, I'd say, half the time. So I would hold the camera in one hand, and with the remote control, I would turn the the news channels from like BBC World News to CNN to Al Jazeera to some Arabic news channel. I didn't know what they were talking about, but it was all the same story from different news organizations. Yeah. And then edit that. That's edited really fast in, in the snippets that we just talked about. And I thought that well, that'll give context to th- what's happening while I'm here in the world. Yeah, no, it's really and interesting. So, so balancing that, the gravitas of that with the slapstick comedy and me me doing bad jokes and trying, you know, it's not about me trying to do stand up. That's just that was just like a way to get over there. That was contractual, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I contractually had to do stand-up <laughs> for 15 minutes a night to get the government clearance as an entertainer. Oh, funny. You know, there's procedures in red tape, and yeah, yeah. they weren't going to have just a camera guy. Wow, interesting. But yeah. the, I, one of the things the TV footage did uh, was, I think, at least this this is how I was perceiving it, and I think other viewers will too, is you you get more of a sense, like you said, of the gravitas. So now when you see the entertainers performing, because, um, I mean, some of the jokes, just whether it was the performance you caught or it's just some material that, that wasn't that great, it doesn't, when there, there's some scenes of them kind of riffing, the comics kind of riffing, like right. like in between shows, and the, the, the jokes they're throwing off aren't that funny. You know, even the comics around them aren't laughing at it. And then they get out in front of this this sort of entertainment-starved audience, and they seem to eat it up with a spoon. They love it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, it, it was weird because, I mean, you know, if you go up to a comic and say, hey, tell me, you know, do do your set. What you, do some of your bits for us here in the office. Yes. it's That's a miserable – you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the guys I were over with said when we do the meet and greets – just uh you know let's just talk just have a conversation listen like tell them about home tell them what you do back home you're bringing a piece of home to them yeah but but then we'll do some joke jokes so don barnhart 
who's been doing he he produced the tour and he uh, he's been doing this for years. He's out of Las Vegas. He does cruise ships. He does a, a, a hypno- hypnosis act. Yeah, yeah. He used to actually. He, he used to manage the, the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was yeah. the he was the sort of the uh, the cat's meow at the Comedy Magic Club. Super nice guy, mm-hmm. and he's been doing these shows since 1993. So, wow. That's I mean that's a couple of bushes ago. Yeah, yeah. And and they didn't tell me like nobody prepped me. They just said, hey, come along. And I worked out a deal to film it and got the government clearance and all that. So the first day on a base, Don just walked in. They don't know who he is. And he's got a bag of T-shirts. And he just starts talking like, like, hey, we're the comedians. We have a show tonight. Uh, Like handing out flyers at the mall, but more personal than that. Yeah. Hey, so um, where are you guys from? This unit, where are you out of? Oh, Fort Fort Sill, Oklahoma? Oh, I was there at a comedy club. You know it? Oh, just engaging people. And it was kind of magical to watch. And then he goes, hey, why don't we do some joke jokes? And the other guy's like, I'll tell some joke jokes. And they're horrible. I mean, you're right. They're ho- they're terrible jokes. <laughs> and and uh, it didn't matter. I mean, part of the fun was like, look how bad these jokes are. These guys traveled this far to tell us. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Another interesting thing was um, Jeff Capri, who was one of the guys on the tour, when you did, uh, I guess it was a Skype call with his his father, Dick Capri, who was also... Legendary. Another, Legendary. Right. Dick Capri. Yeah, and but he had also entertained troops when he was a younger comic. So that was an interesting... Oh, I almost wanted to hear more about that or, you know, it would have been interesting to see other older comics. But it was what was cool was the father-son connection of these, both these guys having done this particular form of comedy. It's one of the most heartfelt moments that has nothing to do with the military in the film is that Jeff Capri and Catskills legend Broadway, he did Catskills on Broadway, uh, Dick Capri. And he used to, did all the, before there were comedy central roasts. Yeah. There were the Friars club roasts and the, uh, like Playboy After Dark Roast or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Dean Martin Roast. And Dick Capri was a staple. Dick Capri was like the Jeffrey Ross of his day. Wow. And uh, super nice, sweet guy. But if I could be coaxed into one more documentary in the series, Mark, you know what it might be? What's that? I am son of comic. Oh, interesting. <laughs> kind of a kind of a prequel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. so Polly Shore is like Jar Jar Bank Blinks or whatever his name was. <laughs> I choked on the reference, but uh, because look at the Wayans brothers, yeah, right. The the Wayans guys, their lineage of comedy is superb. Yeah, uh, Polly Shore's dad, Sammy Shore, um, Dana Carvey's two the, sons are doing it now. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah, in fact, they're doing a uh, they 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 do it separately, but they're now doing. Now doing a duo act uh, right around L.A., so keep your eye out for them. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for that one. Um, but, yeah, no, that would be uh, – if yeah, if you could be coaxing and doing another one, that would be a fascinating one for sure. Yeah, because in some of them – I mean, depending upon the, the audience, your perspective, who's more famous? Yeah. Right, yeah. The, parent, the parent or the offspring? Uh, yeah, 
and there's probably even a little bitterness somewhere along the way. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Uh, and then there's, I mean, there's acts that just, they, they, they didn't get the gene. You know, you think about Buddy Hackett and Sandy Hackett. Uh, not that Sandy isn't funny, but Sandy is not Buddy, <laughs> you right. know? Right. Um, and so it's like, ah, is that the only thing he could think of to do for a living? Because his old man was doing it? Yeah, it's weird. My my son, Jake, is 23. He does improv at the uh, Improv Olympic, the I.O. Theater. I don't yeah. know if you're, you know, I've uh, been there, done, done stage time there myself. And he did stand-up once. Uh, part of a class, which I told him I'm against. You can't teach someone to be funny is my thing. Disagree. Really? <laughs> I do. I think you can teach the mechanics of it and, and give them tools, but it's that gene you mentioned. It, uh, I think there's a gene, but I think everyone has the gene. It's just dormant in a lot of people. And it's teaching, okay. them, it's teaching them how to unlock that. And you can't teach everyone how to unlock it. That's for sure. But I remember I was teaching improv in San Francisco, and there was a woman in our class that uh, I asked everybody the first night. I said, why are you taking the class? She goes, I'm taking this class because my husband doesn't think I'm funny. Oh. So that was, woman was Sally Fields in the movie Punchline. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a you know a six-class six thing, six-night class. And she found her funny. And we do a – the last class is a public performance for friends and family, and her husband showed up. And he sat in the audience in the second row with his arms crossed the entire show. And to him, even though the audience really liked her, I mean, she really was funny. He still did not recognize it. I think there's a lesson in there for all of us. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> know your audience. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say that you have actually taught me something that perhaps it, that's a better way to put it, that you have to like peel back the layers of the onion to yeah. find the funny. Yeah. And I mean, that would be, a, that would be a good documentary. Um, Wayne Fetterman taught a UCLA class, mm. an extension course on, on standup. And I was talking standup. Like I think improv, like, so my son never did standup again. And I go to his shows every Saturday night and he's, it's so fun to watch. Yeah. And I'm in such awe. I, I could never do improv like that. But maybe you're right that it's it's uncovering something. But we did have the genetic conversation mm. uh, just just Saturday after his show. Like, there's a couple people in the group. They know the right thing to say the right time. But there's something a little off that isn't intrinsically or innately funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It's it's probably you know, the same thing. Recognizing any kind of skill in yourself where you go, I'm, you know, I'm a really good executive, but well, then why aren't you a vice president or a president of a company? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was never, you know, I've done a couple of stand up sets, but I've been doing 30 years of improv. And the only time I've done any kind of stand up really, it was as an improviser. I was, uh, I may have told you this story before. I know I've told it on my show, but I was, uh, working on a project with Dana Carvey and he was working at the Mirage hotel in Vegas. So he said, why don't you come with me for the weekend and we'll keep working on this thing. I'll get you a hotel room. So I went with him and we get there and he's, you know, well, I got to go talk to the stage manager. So we go down and talk to the stage manager and the stage manager goes, well, who's going to be your opening act? He goes, well, I was told you guys are hiring somebody local. I said, no, we didn't know. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, well, Mark can do it. 
I go, Mark could do it. I go, okay. So we just kind of sat in his hotel room and wrote like five minutes of material just, you know, and I just went out there and just, I just improvised it, you know, cause I didn't have any stage fear cause I'd been doing improv for so right. long. And I just, I know after being in the business, as long as you, you know, you, I have been booking improv, running rooms, all that stuff. I know how stand up comics act. So I just acted like a stand up comic. I bet you killed. Uh, I did. Well, yeah. I mean, they were primed to see Dana Carvey, but I got some good laughs. But it reminded me of the time you talked about the movie Punchline. I remember when Tom Hanks was trotting around Los Angeles uh, with, with Barry Sobel. With Barry Sobel. Yeah, he can't do no more. Yeah, and he and Sobel was coaching him. And I saw Tom do probably a 15-minute set at the improv, and he was acting like a stand-up. He had it all down. He had all the moves. He had the lines. They'd all been written for him. But he was, you know, to, to anybody watching who didn't know this was Tom Hanks, the actor, I don't know who the, that person would be. He was Tom Hanks, the stand-up comic. That's amazing. That's a, no, that's a good, that's a good point. And I would agree that, that confidence and stage presence can carry, somebody had a term for it, hmm. like, like a present, a, you present the joke, you're selling the jokes with off your personality. You're like you're in the charisma business more than than the the writing for for a lot of guys. Yeah, somebody explained to me yeah. like the, the no audience wants you to fail, and so correct. As, so as long as you look confident on stage and you carry yourself like you know what you're doing, they are comfortable. As soon as you start to look like you don't know what you're doing, they start to worry and then they start to get weird. <laughs> Well, that was that was what carried me through the fifteen minutes, going up cold, going up cold with a, an intro from, you know, that like in the movie the first time was the lieutenant going up reading a note card, yeah. going, "This is this guy's first time," <laughs> as if I'd never done anything. Uh, here he is, you know, Gordon Bradley, <laughs> and like, thanks, lieutenant. Uh, but just, I think if you, if you go up confident you have some, you'd have to have some funny things, obviously I'm not intimating that you can wing it. No, you know, you gotta have something to say, but I think you're right. They want to laugh and it didn't hurt that they were in dry countries on a base with nothing else to do. Exactly. All of a sudden Gordon, what do you call you? Gordon, Gordon Bradley, (laughs) Gordon Bradley is hilarious. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a great movie. It's going to be available. You said in May, June second. June second. Video, video on demand, da- digital download, fifteen bucks. Now I know that's steep, but half of the money is going to go to the National Association of Mil- uh, National Military Family Association, militaryfamily.org. So I'm giving half the money away. So it's like a seven dollar download. Plus you get a donation. Yeah, well, nothing wrong right with now. that. I, I mean, I you know, I, I look at movies on demand now, and they go, "Well, you can either you know buy this today for thirteen dollars, or fifteen dollars, or seven, whatever it is, or or you can rent it in another two months." And I go, "Well, this is still cheaper than if I went to the movies to go see this movie. I'm just going to buy it." So I've got all these movies now that I own that I'll probably never watch again. But <laughs> for for the oh, you're part- right. Go ahead. No, for the price of going to the f- movies, you're it's a it's a steal. And I know we're I know we're run, running over, and no, you got to go. I got no, I got to feed the kids. But uh, you know, the one trick I do at the theaters is if we go with another family or a group of people, I always tell the other parent, 
hey, let me let me buy the tickets. You buy the treats. <laughs> exactly. Because right, that's where the that's yeah. where they make their money, and that's where the expense is. At fifteen bucks times even six or seven people, that's nothing compared to the giant icy and the bucket of popcorn <laughs> and the seven dollar jujubes. You can afford to be magnanimous, Jordan Brady. <laughs> well, I am uh, when I when I leave our interview here, I'm going to the Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley tonight. Um, which I don't. Are you familiar with the Throckmorton? That's the old Mark Pitta room. It is, and it's still still doing comedy every Tuesday. Oh, I love it. In fact, Mr. Mr. Pitta is hosting this evening's show. I will talk to uh, Lucy Mercer, who's the delightful owner of said Throckmorton Theater, and uh, talk to her about I Am Battle Comic, because I think that would be – they occasionally use that as a a bleed-over room for the Mill Valley Film Festival when the Sequoia Theater – Oh, wonderful. Maxed out. So they'll show movies in there all the time. They actually have a fairly decent projection system and they seat about 200 people. So that's uh, perfect. I think she may be very interested in, in uh, hosting a screening. I would, I would love that. And she should also pick a charity that helps military families or uh, wounded warriors, whatever locally can help the community around the theater. Yeah. Let, let's give the money. Let's give the money to them. All right. Well, let me uh, let me talk to her, and I'll uh, attempt to uh, connect her to you, and see if we can't get you up here to uh, to show your fine work. I am Battle Comic. Right. And you know, if she can contact me. You can. Your listeners. It's all there at jordanbrady.com. Okay. Like, if you want to know what city I'm going to be in with the movie, just go to jordanbrady.com. You click on I am Battle Comic. There it is. Perfect. You can even go to IamBattleComic.com, I see. It has the, It does. It has the screenings. You can pre-order. That's a big thing the kids do with the movies. And since I was fortunate enough to, uh, to see the film, I have given you a 10-star rating on IMDb. Oh, my goodness. Out of five? Uh, <laughs> but it says here it needs five more ra- it needs five ratings before they will show up publicly. So get a few more of your friends to rate the damn thing. Get some fake accounts. If you like. Right. If you like, why not? Mark. Well, Jordan, it's always a treat to talk to you. Um, Likewise. Thank you. Uh, maybe next time I don't want to have to wait for a movie to come out to do that. But uh, it's it's always great to talk. I have now talked to you on the uh, the advent of all three of your films. So I feel very fortunate indeed. I, I, and you've been so supportive, and I want to thank you. And when you're in L.A., please be a guest on my podcast, respect the process yes respect the process exactly where it's it's you know it's a lot about commercial filmmaking indie film like bobcats talked about his films on a couple times adam mckay plugged a weird short and morgan spurlock talked about a a weird series and then wayne fetterman came on and pitched his comedy cd so i would love to have you on and talk about the comedy podcast of comedy podcasts. Suck it. <laughs> well, that would be great, Jordan. I appreciate it. Well, listen, Thanks again, man. Yeah, best of luck with I Am Battle Comic. I'll talk to you later. All right, Jordan. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Always a treat to catch up with Jordan. If you missed any of the links he mentioned there, including the one for his soundcast, Respect the Process, I've got links up in this episode's blog entry at SuckatashShow.com. Jordan mentioned at the end of the interview that he had to get going because he was driving over to do Doug Love's Movies. And I thought it might be fun to clip a little bit of that very episode. So this happens about an hour or so after the interview you just heard. Jordan Brady is here, everybody. Hey! 
these are all return guests to the program. Jordan is a uh, has directed many things, but of late you've been directing uh, movies about stand-up comedy. Starting with I Am Comic. I Am Comic. Then and I Am Road Comic. Starring Doug Benson. I'm, I'm in it briefly, talking about my love of roller coasters. And then, <laughs> and then what's the, uh, the, the latest am, one? I Am Battle Comic. It's Terrible not about, it's not about roast name. comics. No. It's, about <laughs> it's not about roast battles. The, the troops. Yeah. Doing shows for the for The, the most military. noble thing a comedian could do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fun. the comedians who do it, I really admire them and... Happy, I got to go to happy it works out. Uh, Kuwait, Afghanistan, and some other places I can't talk about, performing for, for the troops, and I suck at stand-up, like I'm really rusty, but I went with other guys. And the one thing I learned, crickets, food of the future. <laughs> There's more protein in oh, crickets. Oh, no. Yes. So you're suggesting I should eat the crickets to solve this problem once and for all? I'm saying you made me look in a gift horse. The the trouble is you can't find a fucking cricket. They make all that noise. You think it like when you're looking for your phone and you call it, you think that that you'd be able to notice what's making where the noise is coming from. But it's very they send a very vague uh, sound all around the place. Right? The crickets or the phone? I kind of got lost the on crickets, that. They don't want, the crickets. Unless you want to have sex with them, they don't want you to find they them. They don't want you to find them. Because that's like the minute you were just They're saying. They're like, listen like, to all this noise we're making and mm-hmm. fucking live with it. When then somebody comes don't over, they find us and try and to go in their own place. Evict us. They've had exterminators come here and then. Horrible ones. It could be Hollywood crickets. <laughs> Hollywood crickets, like, you know, the homeless right? right. kind of cocky. It's like, just like Hollywood actors. They're very persistent. Oh, oh yeah. The, the, They're like, the I don't care how much homeless. you kick me and spray pesticide in my face. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to stick around in this town just like the cast of La La Land. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when can how can people see uh, Battle Comic? I am Battle Comic. I'm going to say for the people in Los Angeles, you people in front of me, mm-hmm. May second at the Landmark on Pico. Oh, big like uh, benefit screen. Yeah, right? If you you know if you go to jordanbrady.com, which is my website, I've listed seven. We just added Phoenix today. There's seven cities. This is a blatant plug. I'm really sorry. I was going to say it'd be weird if it wasn't your website. Right? We really weird. You know right? what? It's also my website, jordanbrady.com. What? I've listed all these cities, and we're giving all the money to charity. (laughs) Oh, okay, that's cool. All the ticket sales and everything. What's the charity called? Uh, Jordan Brady. Brady. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's uh, National Military Family Association and Operation Gratitude. They make care packages for the troops. In Phoenix, it's Semper Fi Fund. And listeners, in your city, Portland, wherever... I'll show the movie. I'll make it happen for free if we can give the money to a, a local charity that helps military families. Love it. Wow, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. I'm extremely wealthy. I don't need the money. That's right. You've directed Billy Bob Thornton. So that's your bucket list is c- completely full. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> that's not bad. That's a good... Was he all right to be around or is he cranky like you'd imagine? He's a bit of a nut job. Yeah. Yeah? All right. Jordan Brady on Doug Loves Movies. Remember his film, I Am Battle Comic, coming out soon online. Uh, we've got a second burst of durst to shoot your way, but first let's see if the fickle tweet sack has anything worth dipping into it for. Well, this isn't tweet sacky, but I want to take a moment to pay my respects to Don Rickles, who just died this week at age 90. 
He was renowned as an insult comic. And the, the way he got away with it for so many years is that nobody was safe. He picked on every type of person in the audience. I was going to play some audio from one of the many roasts that he did because he really excelled at those. But they lose a little something because it's hard to follow some of the references. Plus, the people in the roast that he was in died quite a while ago. So those references might be lost on a lot of people. Instead, here's a little slice off an album he did back in 1969 when he was asked about dying. Do you think much about dying? Uh, yes, uh, doing this album. Uh, doing this album, I thought about dying. Uh, uh, dying? I figure when I go, I'll have about 40 cars at Riverside Chapel in New York with a motorcycle escort. I do plan to have my uncle to show up in his bathrobe. He dresses for nothing. Uh, I plan to have my aunt throw herself on the casket because my father owed her money. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, do think, I do think my wife probably will be there and not know what the event is. That's the kind of wife I got. She'll probably look up and say, did he die? I think in death we can make humor in death. You know, if you die, it would strike me funny. Because uh, you're the kind of guy that if you die, there's a lot of humor there. Because uh, what did they lose? You know, some guy that hangs around a record company saying, you want to see my ball of wax? So who needs you? How would you like to go, Mr. Rickles? Uh, I figure when I die, I want to be hit quick. You know, why hang around and have the eyes dance a little bit and have the family lean over trying to pick up where you kept the money? You know what I mean? It's murder when they all lean over the bed. Where's the money? You know, and they're cutting off the oxygen pump. So I just want to go have the shoes turn up and have a guy go, that's it, Harry. You know, put me on a dump truck and take me out to the park. Ah, rest in peace, Don Rickles. Uh, I actually met with Don Rickles' manager many years ago. This was back in like the mid-80s, um, when I had written a screenplay with a couple of other friends of mine, and Rickles was actually interested in, uh, they, he actually did option it. It was a project that he was going to do with Bob Newhart, who's a good friend of his, and uh, we did a couple of rewrites, and we met with, uh, we never met with Don, we met with his manager. I don't remember his name, but I do remember we <laughs> always met with him in a Hollywood condo, and he always was wearing like a bathrobe and smoking a cigar. It was the most stereotypical thing ever. And I, I always wondered whether he actually even knew Don Rickles. I don't know. Anyway, I got a nice note from Alex Brazell, who's the producer of The David Feldman Show. I just reviewed a recent episode of Feldo's show for Splitsider.com week before last, in which uh, he interviewed Gilbert Gottfried. My God, it was such a politically <laughs> incorrect and filthy uh, appearance, I, but I couldn't stop laughing. Anyway, Alex writes, Hi, Mark. Finally saw the Splitsire article. Thanks again so much for the write-up. We are leaving it on the floor these days. I guess he means they're leaving all the dirty stuff in, and it makes it worthwhile when someone like you, with immaculate taste, why, thank you, Alex, recognizes us. We also did an uproariously funny follow-up with Dave Attell that we dropped last Tuesday, if you feel like checking it out. In addition, we'd still love to have you on the podcast. Can you do a phoner? Blah, blah, blah. Needless to, needless to say, I said yes, and now we wait for that to happen. You know what? That's really it for the tweet sack, except, of course, for the cavalcade of gratitude, where I thank you for your tweets, retweets, stars, hearts, likes, forwards, thumbs up, and all other passing of succotash you may have done on social media in the past week or so. So here we go. Libsyn Podcasting Service. Oh, never mind. That's just the monthly bill for hosting the show. Hunter Block, The Bronzeville Show, Bart Baker, our associate producer Tyson Sainer, The All-Seeing Guys, Frank Cronin, Dana Carvey, Gilbert Gottfried, Michael O'Brien, Jeff Bolt, Podcast Booster Bot, 
Jose Duran, Victorian Aztec Witch, Christina Pazitsky, Foot Pound Force, The Rochdale Herald, Kirk Novak, John Edder, Mimi Toll, Christine Blackburn, C-Suite Radio, In Poor Taste, Rare Candy, Dr. Norman Trousers, Changes in Latitudes, Salty Language Podcast, Illusionoid, Punchline SF, Nerd Blitz, Monty Gear, Sean Merrick, Film Threat, Blake, Poltron, Lena Anani, and Junior Intern. Next up, this. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about how exciting the news is these days. Too exciting. Like the pre-credits sequence of a science fiction film that takes place in the ruins of a dystopian civilization. It's not just we news junkies, the whole nation is transfixed. An unprecedented number of eyeballs are trolling the interwebs. Ratings for Fox News and MSNBC are shooting past the outer orbit of the moons of Mercury. Even such olden-timey formats as newspapers are flying off shelves. Wouldn't be surprised to hear that kindling and blanket sales are way up for those who remain partial to smoke signals. Every single day, there's danger, intrigue, romance, treachery, internecine warfare, skulking, lurking, barking. No sex yet, but you know it's coming. It's like a soap opera with ugly people. The House Intelligence Committee, which is a bit of an oxymoron, has a chairman playing cloak and dagger on the White House grounds, receiving classified documents from staffers that he later relays to the president himself. Peter slipping Paul a note to give back to Peter's boss. Terrorism expert Clint Watts told the Senate Intelligence Committee, not as big an oxymoron, to follow the trail of dead Russians. This is House of Cards, with Kevin Spacey playing all the parts meets James Bond. But not the cool young Daniel Craig James Bond, more like one of Roger Moore's last appearances. White House spokesman Sean Spicer creeps closer and closer to his inevitable televised breakdown. Won't be long before he shows up at a press briefing, wearing his tie as a bandana with a knife gripped between his teeth. And, and, now, the former National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, announces he wants immunity to testify. Immunity for what? And testify about what? Nobody knows. And we're only two months in. Stay tuned. This is going to make Legion look like Leave it to Beaver. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, I'm Will Durst. Durst, as he is affectionately known, can be followed at Will Durst on Twitter. And that brings to a close this sixth year, 150th episode of Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, uh, Succotash Chats edition. I'm pretty sure we'll be back soon with Epi 151, but who knows? It will likely be an episode of Succotash Clips, but that might not be true either. What I do know is this. I appreciate you listening. And when you choose to comment on the social media or email me directly at marc at succotashshow.com, I always enjoy hearing from you. If you're a comedy soundcaster and would like us to feature your mishigash on this program, you can easily upload a clip to us, listen for details in our announcer Bill Haywatt's wrap-up, happening right after I say goodbye. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, with your host, Mark Hershon. 
Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, and on Ha Ha Ha, the laughable app. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuccotashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Covey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Turges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. Mark, are you there? Jordan Brady. Can, can, can you, you hear me okay? Through uh, you, this you, sound, you sound like a uh, golden-throated voice of God. I've been drinking liquid gold before, the, <laughs> before this interview, trying to get my throat relaxed and coated with goodness. <laughs> There's something cheaper than gold, pal. What's that? <laughs> I'll tell you later. Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you now, it's cum. A fine scotch? It's it's rich, creamy cum. (laughs) I just just remembered I I can edit this, so it doesn't really matter what I say. (laughs) But will I? That's the question, will I? You know, whenever I see a commercial on TV for, like, Tide or, you know, those capsules that wash your clothes and they say, it's out protein, that stubborn protein. <laughs> I think I think they're talking about like a teenage boy's cum stains on the bed. Well, of course they are. Yeah. It's all advertising code. You know that? Come on, you direct commercials. I know, but there's no, there's no handbook that says when you want to talk about semen, <laughs> just say protein. I, I smell another project. <laughs> <laughs>